The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Soccer fans all over the world, it is time. It is time for another strong session of Into the Net FC. So, sit back, relax, and get ready for a wild ride where you will hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The intensity on the pitch is about to go down, and here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bear of Texas. Welcome to another edition of Into the Net FC, the soccer talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, and YouTube. As usual, I am coming to you live from deep in the heart of Texas. It is once again my honor and my privilege to welcome back my good friend, my mentor in beautiful, sunny Southern California. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for Steve Adams. Well, or at least what's left of California after a lot of the fires that we've been having out here. Uh, was actually in Minnesota visiting family for a few days, and I just flew back into LAX yesterday. So good to be back home and ready to talk about the final from yesterday that I was actually able to watch for about 88 minutes. Well, I was in the Delta Lounge at uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul, so let's get to it. Let's get into it indeed, and I too watched the entire game, but I was not in a sports bar. I was in a pub because it's a personal goal of mine that if you're going to watch soccer the traditional way, you might as well go into a pub, and it was full of Bayern Munich fans, and there was very few PSG fans, and the outcome of the game... It didn't affect me at all because, as many of you know, I'm a sports writer. There's the objectivity and professionalism in me. Of course, the fan in me kind of got a little bit too rowdy, but he didn't go out of control. But at the end of the day, I'm happy because there's, there was French players on both sides, and several of them were on the World Cup squad. So for me, if a French player wins the title, overall, I am happy. But this was one hell of an intense game because 
overall, the best way to describe it is like this. Les Parisiens were better athletic-wise, but Bayern Munich was better as far as mentality goes. And in soccer, mentality is the ultimate key to victory. That is why, Steve, Bayern Munich was able to win and just literally get into their heads and frustrate the hell out of Paris Saint-Germain. And that is why Paris Saint-Germain, despite the numerous chances to score, they could not do it. A lot of talking points here. First of all, Manuel Neres, the newer, the goalkeeper for Bayern Munich, man of the match. He made a couple of incredible saves uh, during the course of the match to, to keep Munich in the game. Bit of a surprise. Hansi Flicker decided to put uh, Kingsley Coleman, uh, a French player who actually started out his professional career with Paris Saint-Germain, uh, decided to put him in on the left wing. And uh, Ivan Perisic had been playing some pretty good ball there, but he decided to roll the dice and play with him, which meant that there were a lot of talking points going into this match about, well, could Bayern Munich handle PSG's speed, i.e. Mbappe, Neymar, Di Maria? Well, with the Canadian Alfonso Davies, who's got serious wheels, and then throwing Coleman in on the left side, I felt that Bayern Munich did a really good job of matching up with uh, PSG's speed. And um, really, PSG did not get nearly as many open looks and open breaks on goals as, as, as they had experienced in, uh, in the semifinals. PSG was playing a team that they've never seen before. But it's, it's a Bayern Munich team that the world truly has never seen before because, in my opinion, Steve, this Bayern Munich team is going to go down as one of the greatest who's ever won the Champions League. Bayern Munich have, are now, have, now have the third most. They're tied with Liverpool with six titles. But that puts them right above Barcelona. And Bayern <laughs> Munich is the first team in Champions League history to win every single game in the competition. You could make a pretty good argument that not only was this the best Bayern Munich team ever, you could certainly rate it up there with some of the best European sides uh, ever to have lifted the trophy. I mean, just incredible stat lines to have not lost a single match, to have won all their matches in, in the Champions League. 21 wins in a row after after Hansi Flicker took over, winning 33 out of 36 games with all competitions included. Incredible run. And the, the piece de resistance of that, I mean, yes, winning yesterday was was incredible, but that 8-2 shellacking that they laid on uh, Suarez and Lionel Messi with, uh, and Barcelona in the quarterfinals... I mean, that's, that's really kind of the centerpiece of just how great this team is. It's unbelievable. And speaking of uh, Kingsley Coman, he's the fifth Frenchman to score in a Champions League final. Karim Benzema did it in 2018. The great Zinedine Zidane did it in 2002. We all remember that goal. In 1994, Marcel Desailly and Basile Boli in 1993. 
Actually, there's a name that actually should belong on that list, but back then it wasn't the Champions League yet. It was still the European Cup or the Champions Cup. Uh, Michel Platini scored on a penalty for Juventus when Juventus beat Liverpool in the 85 final. So, you know, but it's still, you take a look at those players and Kingsley Coleman is in some pretty select company. What's so amazing and so ironic is that he started his career with Paris Saint-Germain and Paris Saint-Germain let him loose on a free transfer. Yeah, he's, he uh, went to Juventus for a couple of years, uh, won a Scudetto with them, and then now with uh, Bayern, this is his fifth Bundesliga title. He's won three German doubles. And this is all, this young man is still only 24 years old. And, oh, by the way, this already loaded squad is going to get only better because Leroy Sané is going to be joining them in the new season. Oh, yes. I think Bayern Munich is very well poised to start a dynasty. It would not surprise me if they win it for the second time in a row because they have great potential of doing it. And speaking of, uh, once again, of Kingsley Coman, see, a lot of Bayern Munich fans believe that he should have been on the World Cup squad uh, two years ago for France. The only reason why he wasn't, folks, is that, if I remember correctly, he was injured. An injury is what prevented him from being on the squad. Because Kuma always has been a very talented player. He's just been underutilized, he's been doubted, and now he's finally sticking to every single person who's ever doubted him. So there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that in the future... Didier Deschamps will be more than happy to call up Kingsley Coman to represent La République de France, Les Bleus. Well, one thing's for sure, too. I don't think Kingsley Coman will ever have to worry about buying a beer for himself in Munich uh, for the rest of his life. <laughs> well, he's definitely a hero in Munich now. And what kind of disappointed me on a personal level is that Benjamin Pavard and Luca Hernandez did not see any action in the game. Uh, in Pavel's case, um, he did have the injury, so perhaps it was, of course, a precaution because Bayern Munich knows that Benjamin Pavel is a very valuable asset. The last thing they need is for him to aggravate an injury. So maybe that's why he didn't play, or it, it could be that they just decided not to use him. But you know what? It doesn't matter. He was on the squad. He's part of the championship team. That's another huge addition to his list of accomplishments. He's now a World Cup and a Champions League champion. You know, big part of the team, uh, plays great defense. He's scored a couple of nice goals for Bayern Munich this season. I mean, Pavard is definitely a player. But, I mean, you do bring up a point in that one of the challenges that managers have right now is Yes, you want to get that hardware, but you also don't want to risk long-term injury to your players because there's not much turnaround. I mean, the new season in France, for example, the 2021 season already kicked off last Friday in France. So it did. And some of these some of these leagues are going to be starting up here within two or three weeks in Germany and the EPL. So there's very, very little rest. I mean, traditionally, the Champions League game would be usually the last weekend in May. 
and then you would have the summer, notwithstanding, of course, international matches. But generally, as far as the clubs would go, the, the players could at least get some rest from the grind, and then the matches and a lot of the leagues resume, say, in early mid-August. Well, that whole dynamic has been turned on its head now that we're already into the last week of August. And, um, yeah, so I, I think that managers that have been playing in the Champions League and the Europa League, they've had to really also measure uh, risk to any any injuries for their players. It is, and that's the scariest part about being a manager is that you want to make sure that all your valuable assets are fully healthy in 100%. And it's crazy that there will be no off-season because Paris Saint-Germain, in about five days, they will play their first League One game. And the Champions League, the next Champions League, is set to start late next month. The draw date for the uh, group stage will be October 1st. It looks like it'll be in Athens. And the match day one for the group stage is going to be October 20th and the 21st. So, I'm excited because as when you love soccer so much, folks, you want the se- the sport, the new season to start as soon as possible. But at the same time, you do want the players to rest. But when you love soccer, folks, and Steve will agree on this, you just you find the time no matter what. You want to watch the important games. You just love it. And for me, it's not only to watch it, but it's to write about it. So I'm really excited for the Champions League to be starting out soon. It's going to be a short wait. But now, Steve, I want to talk about the future of Paris Saint-Germain. But before we get too deep into that, the unfortunate aftermath of their loss, it's it's heartbreaking, but at the same time, it's not very surprising. Because in Paris, there was reports that you know the, the fans did not take kindly to the loss. And I was on Twitter, and there were supporters trashing Kylian Mbappe with racial slang, uh, racial terms. You know, it's just absolutely disgusting, and it breaks my heart. I mean, look. it's it's really it's unfortunate on both levels the fact that people would pin this loss on Mbappe, but I mean, they PSG arranged for the game to be shown on a large screen outside the Parc des Princes. And in the aftermath of it, authorities ended up making about 150 arrests. Uh, several cars were burned. Shops were trashed. And, you know, it was this whole whole ugly scene that went on. So that part was was very, very unfortunate. And what's on my mind also, Steve, is that I wonder if anything happened in Marseille. Because before the game... It was announced that in the city of Marseille, PSG jerseys would not be allowed to be worn. Although there was a report that that rule ended up being uh, taken down eventually. But also it does not surprise me because folks, Paris Saint-Germain versus Olympique de Marseille, it's not just a simple rivalry. It's a rivalry that goes back decades, but it's violent. I mean, my dad has seen, you know, huge fights among both sides. Because when he was a young man, he did go to a couple of games uh, of Olympique de Marseille. And none of them saw any any Christmas greetings between supporters on both sides. Some might say that to compare uh, Le Classique to the rivalry between Ohio State and Michigan. 
it could make sense, but at the same time, comparing a soccer rivalry to a college football rivalry, it doesn't necessarily fit because it's two different sports, but at the same time, it's the same atmosphere. But, well, they're two very different cities, yeah. and the hatred runs really deep. One of the funnier pictures that I saw, one of the subway train lead cars in Marseille, there was a picture that said, Merci Kingsley on it. Thank you, Kingsley, because, and they actually, I did see video of people that were in the streets in Marseille celebrating after PSG lost. So, um, yes, it's, it's a very, very intense rivalry, but, you know, the other thing, though, too, yes, the, there's not much like between the cities, but it's, it's been a long time since Marseille has beaten PSG in a match that's really counted. I mean, PSG has pretty well owned that series pretty much for the last decade. They've owned it. Uh, very, very few victories for Marseille. Uh, the good news for Marseille fans is that uh, they did finish second in Ligue 1. They did qualify. They, they'll they for sure be in the group stages. I'm very curious to see what the final uh, pools will be. But yeah, no, no question. Um, not really, no love loss from the south of France to be sure. With PSG losing yesterday, you know something. Imagine if somehow, some way, the next final is Paris Saint Germain versus Olympique de Marseille. Now that's definitely a pipe dream, but anything is possible. Now if that were to happen, I think it's safe to say both cities. They better be ready for anything because whichever side loses, they will not take that kindly. But now that we're through that, what happened to Kylian and Bappe on Twitter, I'm going to be honest, folks, it brought tears to my eyes because this is something we see all the time. I mean, Zinedine Zidane has suffered this. Like, all these French players, you know, who come from different backgrounds. If they come up short, they're subjected to racial abuse. And what I saw on Twitter, I mean, I'm not going to say exactly what I saw on Twitter because it's absolutely hurtful. I mean, thinking about it is making me tear up. I mean, I'm getting tears right now because it's so heartbreaking. But to those of you out there on Twitter who find it hilarious to to throw racial slurs at Mbappe, just grow up. I mean, come on. He's 21 years old. He's a kid. I get it. He's accomplished so much. But guess what? He's not perfect, okay? He obviously did his best. He was not at the top of his game. But you know something? Every legend has had games like this. Every legend in soccer history has had shortcomings. It's part of the, le- it's part of the lesson, folks. It's part of the process of when you're climbing to the top of the mountain. You're going to fall, but you have to get back up. Kylian Mbappe fell. He's going to get back up, and I guarantee you he's going to win the Champions League one day. Whether it's for Paris Saint-Germain, whether it's for Real Madrid, if it's for Liverpool, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is I am more than 100% confident that Kylian Mbappe will rectify that wrong. He will make up for it. He's going to do great. The future is bright for that kid. And overall, racially insulting him... My question to you folks is, how does that make you feel better? I mean, riddle me that, folks, because 
I get it, you're angry, but there's just no use of being hurtful. I mean, I if Mbappe, if by any chance is listening to this, you're in my prayers, brother. You're a good player. Keep your head up. You got this, buddy. I think it's one of the things with social media. It's a curious term, social media. I've met so many nice people thanks to social media, like Twitter, like Facebook. Well, Alex, you and I, we met via Facebook. We, we met via soccer fan group in Facebook. And there's so many really nice people that I've had a chance to meet through social media. But a lot of people somehow feel empowered to be really just evil to other people. I guess there, it's the anonymity of not speaking to somebody in person. I don't know. But... Um, but it, it's sad that people have to feel that not only to trash somebody, but to bring you know race or religion into the discussion as well, uh, and to do ethnic slurs. It's it's just a really really ugly thing, and unfortunately, it's just it's just an unfortunate part of the world that we live in now with social media. It's, it really is a two-edged sword. It is, and, and here's a little piece of advice for all those uh, people who are throwing, putting those racial slurs on social media. You do know that once you post it, even if you delete it, it's really not gone. What you post is there forever. So my advice is be careful what you say. And folks, once again, grow up. Mbappe is a Frenchman, okay? People, if, if all, for those people saying Mbappe does not sound French, well, it does, okay? And honestly, and here's another piece of advice for all those racist people. I mean, people in France who feel like those players are not French, they should represent France. You should be glad that Kylian Mbappe chose France because he could have chosen his native Cameroon if he wanted to. But because he's so grateful for everything he's had in France, he chose to play for Les Bleus. And I don't mean to get too personal, but me see, I'm just like Mbappe. I was born in France to uh, to immigrants, and you know, and over over the years, on a personal level, I've had my fair share you know, of racial abuse. So I sympathize with Mbappe. But there's lots of things I can say. But the best thing I can say to to anybody who has you know racism in their heart or hatred in their heart, grow up. Think about what you're saying. Get yourself educated. It doesn't matter what you look like, okay? Mbappe is a French citizen. He ha he has earned the right and the opportunity. He's qualified to represent France. And you know what? Everything he's done so far, he's doing well to the French Republic. He's a hero already because let's not forget, 19 years old, he helped France win the World Cup. He's the second teenager to score in a World Cup final. The first person who did it was Pelé back in 1958. So while Mbappe came up short one time, think about everything he's done, he's accomplished so far. And again, folks, as, as we wrap up the Kylian Mbappe talk, he's not perfect. Nobody is. Zidane wasn't perfect. Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, was not perfect. Lionel Messi isn't perfect. The current Ronaldo is, is not perfect. Nobody is. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I got I got to apologize to you too, Steve, because you know I got carried away. I mean, these racial attacks. I mean, they they hurt me personally because you know it's like I said, I've had my I've had my share of such attacks. So 
when I see a player that I admire, he I mean, not only that I admire, but he impacts my career because he gives me stories to write and he's attacked like this because he loses, it's very painful to deal with. Well, it's just very ugly. It's ugly, and I certainly understand that. So, you know, it's a, it's a good platform for you. And, you know, you've lived the situation yourself. I mean, you're, you're kind of a double immigrant. You were born in France. Your parents had gone to France from Syria. And then everybody, you and your family, moved from France to Texas when you were a kid. So, uh, you know, you kind of have seen it from both sides, You've seen xenoph you've seen xenophobia up close and personal in two countries, and that's that's a pretty tough thing to to wrap your head around. It is, it is. But you know, the key to the key to this thing, the whole thing, is to just think of think of positivity, and you know, just just get over it. So, so to Killian Mbappe, my advice to you, if you're listening, don't pay attention to them, just. Do what you love to do. Play soccer because the future is bright for you, buddy. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> well, so now that we move on, um, do you have any uh, upcoming predictions for League One or uh, the Premier League? Anything? Any predictions for the future, Steve? Well, I mean, I think it's still PSG's title to lose again. They're just. They're they're a great white shark in a in a little goldfish bowl with League One right now. I don't see anybody, even Marseille. I don't see really Marseille pushing them very much. EPL. I like Liverpool's chances of repeating. I don't see anybody in the Bundesliga really challenging Bayern in Italy. Inter made it very close towards the end of the year. They were snapping at Juventus's heels uh, towards the very end. But and then now, after watching Barcelona's just totally taking on water faster than the Titanic towards the end of the year, I don't see Barca giving a whole lot of competition to Real Madrid that'll be very intact, and their situation seems pretty darn stable. So I think it's going to be the usual suspects for uh, 2021 as far as with the major leagues in Europe. See, that's a very good point. And based on what you've said about Barcelona because of the struggles, and it could very well keep going. I mean, it's going to take some time for Barcelona to regain its top dominant form. But what we have to understand is, you know, it's going to happen. You have years of success, and then you fall down. You see it all the time in sports. I mean, the Golden State Warriors are a perfect example. In Barcelona, well, they did have some bit of success, the Champions League, though, the way things have ended for them in the past couple of years, it's been in heartbreaking fashion. I mean, in 2018, when they lost to, uh, I think it was Roma, it was via aggregate. Uh, the away goals rule, you know, uh, is what is, is the effect, uh, is the result of their elimination. And uh, last year, of course, I mean, th- this is going to make you feel nostalgic, Steve, when uh, Barcelona had that humongous lead over, over Liverpool, and then all of a sudden, Liverpool just... Pulls off a huge win to eliminate Barcelona, <laughs> but that, that 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 return leg in Anfield was incredible. Being down three zero after Barcelona had just so thoroughly dominated that first game at the New Camp, with Messi scoring a, a masterclass uh, direct kick, 
uh, and then somehow Liverpool being able to use that Anfield magic and rode the, the passion of the crowd to come back and score the four goals. It's the one thing with this competition. I think UEFA did the best that they could under very, very difficult circumstances in these COVID times that we live in right now because uh, the, initially the Champions League final was supposed to be in Istanbul, but they made the decision that, well, let's pick a place where we'll do quarterfinals, semis, and the final all on neutral turf, and conveniently enough, all the Portuguese teams had been pretty much eliminated by the round of 16, so there was no, not going to be any home field advantage. And then with the quarters, uh, the semis being played one-off matches in front of empty stadiums, there were still some very, very compelling games to watch. But I, I hope that this is something that we will never have to see again of having top-flight matches being played in front of empty stadiums. The game misses so much without the crowds. And um, that were really, in what had been a really, really good tournament, and I think they did well in Portugal running it, it's just really a shame that there was that there were no fans to to watch all this amazing soccer over the last couple of weeks. It is a darn shame because the fans, the reaction, it's part of the game. And in my opinion, the fans not being there, I think it damages the reputation of the game. Because it's like, like I just said, the fan support, the reactions, it's all part of it. And even watching the game on TV when there's no fans there, it just does not feel right. A lot of people say it doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm watching it on TV, but still, like, when the game's not played the way we're used to seeing, the traditional way, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, I can still enjoy the game, but there's that doubt, there's that hiccup that just makes you feel like something's just not right because I'm not enjoying it the way I'm used to enjoying it. But, but you know, Alex, at least in your situation, you were able to enjoy it in a pub, and you at least had those those fun Bayern Munich fans that were there to at least give the surroundings a little bit of a festive air. I mean, I was watching the final on my phone through my CBS app in the Delta Airlines lounge at MSP. So, I mean, not even being able to share the match even in a setting like a bar or a pub, it really was a was a poor substitute indeed. I mean, I'm thankful the technology allowed me to see the match, but I'm glad at least you were able to share that experience with those Bayern fans at that pub in Texas. It is, and I gotta I gotta tell you, see, Bayern Munich fans are just they're very very nice people. They're not rowdy, they're not trash talking, they're not rude. They're very nice, and a lot of them would ask me who I'm pulling for, and I would tell them. Technically, I'm happy if either team wins, and I would tell them, you know, I'm a sports writer, so I'm objective. And I, I would kind of tell them, you know, the, the two mindset, the sports writing mindset, and then, and then this, and, and, the, and then they, they would kind of smile, but they would understand. But but I told them that Kylian Mbappe is a, is a player that I've been following since um, his call to the international team uh, when he was 18 years old, and he was playing at Monaco. And Kylian... And, a couple. There was this big. There was a Bayern Munich fan that, that I sat with. Uh, he was actually from Munich, 
And he explained to me that, in his view, Mbappe is one of those dudes that no matter who who he plays for, you can't help but have love for him. I said, many fans might disagree, but I, I agree with him. Mbappe... In my case, he just gives me stories to write when he has a great when he has great games, he does all these cool things. But as far as Bayern Munich goes, I felt like if Bayern Munich wins, they deserve it because the way they dispose of Barcelona, the way they dispose of Chelsea, Bayern Munich came in this game, you know, tough as hell. And it's like I said at the very beginning, mentally they were the better team, but athletically it was Paris Saint-Germain. And not to mention how loaded the team is. I mean, the the veteran uh, presence of uh, Robert Lewandowski, Thomas Mueller, Manuel Neuer, all those guys. Well, Lewandowski hit the post in oh, the first yeah. half. <laughs> yeah, and that, so, that German supporter right by me nearly threw his beer <laughs> when that yeah. happened. But, um Oh, I saw one little bit of news that you might find interesting with you being a Manchester United fan. Uh, one of the Man U players, Victor Lindolf, was back home in Sweden during the offseason. And uh, over the weekend, he helped authorities catch a thief, caught and detained the thief who had robbed an elderly lady of her purse. So, uh, mad props to Victor for uh, helping that lady out and catching the bad guy. I did hear about that story, and, and I, I salute uh, Victor for that. But, but there's also another story that surfaced. Uh, this I think it surfaced you know, early last week that Harry Maguire was arrested for uh, allegedly getting into a fight in a bar in Greece. And the other story was, there was I, I don't know if this was confirmed, but I think Bruno Fernandez went over there to try to help him out. Now that part, I had heard that there had been a scuffle, but what I mean was Bruno Fernandez at the bar during the brawl too, or no? I mean, this is probably just some. This was probably just not real, but maybe this was just to you know poke fun at you know Manchester United. But there was a, but there was it was reported that Harry Maguire did in fact uh, get get into. So I'm looking at this uh, right here. Yeah, he was uh, he was arrested. Okay, and this source is saying that Manchester United are calling for Bruno Fernandes to become club captain. So, okay, so it says here... Okay, so Harry Maguire was on holiday in Greece. He was arrested following an alleged altercation with fellow English tourists. And apparently he also got into it with the police. Okay. Look, it's it's going to happen because... I need, okay, first of all, I need to ask you, is it true or false that... Perhaps the English press or English soccer fans can be a bit overbearing. The the British sporting press can be just flat out brutal as far as uh, sharpening up the knives for players. But but by the same token, too, uh, if you're a captain, if if you're a professional baller and you're the captain of your team, you have to be cognizant of your actions. And you know what? You control how much alcohol you can drink. You know, sometimes it's just it's easier to try to you know walk away from the fight or buy the other guy a drink or something to try to defuse the situation. But there's just there's never going to be any good in 
getting into a fight in a bar and especially doing it overseas where you can get overseas uh, law enforcement involved, it's not a good situation. It's not a good look for the club. And I, I hope that he can learn and I hope that he can grow up from this. But, uh, but he's just made his life a whole lot more difficult by his actions. He did, and I just looked it up. Um, that fan that said something about Bruno Fernandez going to Greece to help Harry Maguire, it's just, it, that it's probably just somebody throwing crap out there. So it's it's what I like to call a very false and unconvincing source, and people do that all the time. And I never really believed it because if if it was really legitimate, I think Sky Sports, uh, uh, L'Equipe, all those uh, all those major sources that are big into soccer, they they would have had a report on it, even if it's just a rumor. But but as far as McGuire goes, you're right. Look, it's been hard. I mean, since his arrival at Old Trafford, he's had struggles. And, and you know, and there's my point again. Nobody is perfect. But And, you know, for McGuire, he needs to learn from this. Like, you got to stay out of trouble because, you know, getting in trouble like this, it's an easy way for your career to just break into millions of pieces and you'll never be able to get it back together. So I hope for his sake that he learns from it. And, you know, stay out of trouble, start the season, you know, do your best, and he's going to be okay. As far as Fernandez goes, I think he has potential of becoming captain eventually, but I still think it's probably a bit too early to think that to think that he's that he should be, I should say, because he hasn't been on he hasn't been on the club at long enough. Well, he's been with them just barely half a season. Yeah. It would take a really really extraordinary individual to walk into a club setting and be that sort of transcendent leader where you know you're the captain and you haven't even been there a full six months on that team now fernandez is a great player and he's a huge reason that manchester united was able to come off the deck after some really really mediocre play um the first almost two-thirds of the season. I mean, his play down the stretch helped Man U being able to grab one of those four Champions League spots in the EPL. Um, tremendous player, and um, looking forward to watching him trying to team up with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and that ridiculous amount of talent that Portugal has on that team. The future, just like Mbappe, the future is very bright for Bruno Fernandes at Old Trafford. And speaking of Manchester United, their first game says here it's going to be against Burnley, but the, it says here it's been postponed, and I'm, I'm guessing that's because of the uh, the Europa League. But from what they went deep into the Europa League. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Liverpool's first game because they're playing Leeds United, and Leeds they won the EFL last year, and they had been in the the wilderness of English football. For several years, I mean, since basically like 2003, and now they're back in the top flight. And you know, people forget, but once upon a time in um, the the 70s and 80s, and really even into the 90s, Leeds and Liverpool was a very, very heated rivalry, very, very nasty rivalry between those teams. So. It'll be really fun to to see Leeds and Liverpool squaring off again in the top flight. I'm highly looking forward to that first match. To be honest, Steve, I am too. It says here it's going to be September 12th, 
9 a.m. And ironically, I was supposed to be visiting you during that time. But unfortunately, because of COVID, I will not be able to finish what I started last summer. My second trip to California will be postponed to a later date. I'm not sure when it will happen. I don't think I'm going to book anything until this whole thing is cleared because the next time I book it, I'm going to make sure I go. <laughs> it's just the way I, well, I, mean, this- I I take it so seriously. Like I love traveling. I love learning. I just love to have fun. I love living my dream. Well, well, partner, the spare bedroom's there and Elmer the cat's way to cuddle with you. <laughs> I look forward I look forward to that. And and so Liverpool is in Leeds United and that's going to really that's going to be something for me to learn because I was not aware, you know, about what you just said how it's it's a rivalry that, that could be revived because my dad was talking to me about it and he says he re- he remembers when Leeds United was a, was a very good team. He mentioned uh, Eric Cantona, I believe he had that he was there for one year before the He was there when they won the, he was there when Leeds won the won the league title back I want to say it was 91. And then from there, he made the hop over from there. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, Leeds, an awful lot of history there. There was a team that Bayern Munich actually, um, they defeated them for, I want to say, their second Euro title. Bayern Munich won three titles in, the, in a row, 74, 75, 76. Uh, 75 was the year they beat Leeds United in what they used to call the European Cup final. Now they call it the Champions League. And that was back in an era where to qualify for that tournament, it, you, it had to be the champions of each, each country. There was no playing for second or third or fourth place to get invited into the Champions League. To get into that tournament, it was only the champions that got in. So it was a very, very different tournament back then and it was also a direct elimination and it was pure blind draw where i want to say one year in the early 80s or no mid 80s when maradona was playing with with napoli and they won the champ they had won the scudetto in italy and then first or second round they ended up against real madrid and they ended up losing so it, it really wasn't until the early 90s where they started to change things and they would come up with, you know, groups and round-robin matches and things like that. But up until then, it was all direct elimination and you could only be champions uh, to qualify for that tournament. Indeed, so it's going to be good to see some... It's going to be good for me to learn. So looking at the schedule, so Man City will open up against Aston Villa... That, that's also been postponed. It's uh, unclear. I, that's because uh, Manchester City was in the Champions League. Because they mentioned those teams who were uh, still in the tournaments, they would have to give them a little bit of extra time to uh, to rest. So the, uh, several games are confirmed for September 12th. It says, uh, okay, and for Manchester United, their second game is confirmed to be September 19th. So I'm guessing that next their first game, is it's got to be sometime between the 12th and maybe the it's gonna be within that that time range. I'm sure that soon they're gonna they're, they're gonna officially declare you know when they'll play. But one thing's for sure is they will play. And speaking and going here, I'm looking to uh, League One. Paris Saint Germain is playing this Saturday against Lens. Uh, Lens. I hope I'm pronoun- am I pronoun- pronouncing that correctly? 
Lance. Lance. Okay. And they're play- Yes, the, it's a league. It's a League One game. And then September thirteenth, second game, they're playing Marseille, Le Classique, at two o'clock. So it's good. <laughs> I, I mean, I have a feeling. I mean, this game may not. Even though it's just a League One game, based on what's been going on, well, the police better be ready for anything. And for all those fans out there, you you better watch yourself. I mean, <laughs> it's you know, it could get ugly. I mean, somebody could get hurt. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, look at Seek. It's not just a simple rivalry. I mean, I'm sure there's been supporters who've, who've been killed. <laughs> and and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, those, those soccer rivalries, though, that's a soccer rivalry for you, especially those fierce ones. I mean, supporters will take it to a level where they're going to threaten each other's life. Is it? I mean, the question is, you know, is it worth it to ruin your life all because of a soccer game? Some supporters are just like, I don't care. <laughs> it's a it's a level of hatred between PSG and Marseille fans that, I mean, you think of, you know, you try to think of the nastiest sports rivalries you can think of in North American sport. And the only one that, to me, comes to mind that's in the same league in terms of just pure hatred bordering on to criminality I think in hockey between the Flyers and the Rangers, that's certainly right up there. Um, there's a lot of, you know, yeah, there's a lot of smack talking between Yankee and Red Sox fans and Eagle and Cowboy fans, but even even those rivalries, you know, to me, they they pale in comparison to um, to PSG versus Marseille. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the CRS and gendarmes, I mean, they just absolutely hate those two days of the year when uh, PSG and Marseille play. So it's interesting that the Classique is going to be played so early this season. Well, I'm excited. And my, a friend of mine who uh, who loves this show, and uh, first of all, by the way, he wanted me to personally let you know, Steve, that he finds you to be a very smart soccer uh, fan. He loves the way you describe everything. I, could, I, th- I think the best way to say, Steve, he's a huge fan of, you, of yours. So congratulations, Steve. Well, thank you. That's awfully kind. And he just he says in his thoughts that Le Classique it reminds him it reminds him of uh, Montreal versus the Nordiques, the Canadians versus the Nordiques. I'm sure that's, that's a good comparison. Yeah, that's actually that's actually an excellent comparison because uh, some of the most violent NHL games that I can ever recall with like record numbers of penalties, fights game misconducts, you know, what, what they used to call la guerre civile between the, the Nordiques and um, the Canadiens. Yeah, I would say in, in North American sport, that one probably, but that was more among the players. I don't think it, I don't know if it was as much with the fans in the stands, but, but certainly as far as the, the players on the field, yeah, or I should say the players on the ice in this case, but yeah, the Nordique Canadiens, yeah, that was that was good old fashioned hate. See, and in my case, it was just just recently that I learned that there was a hockey team in in Quebec City. And they're now they're now the uh, Colorado Avalanche, and that video that I posted on Twitter about that that famous uh, fight in that playoff game in the nineteen eighty four NHL playoffs. And I, I learned about the Nordiques. It was uh, when I was doing a project with a with an independent professional wrestler. I was uh, covering about an, a series, a documentary series about dark secrets and incidents in the history of professional wrestling. 
Yes, even in the world of wrestling, even though it's predetermined, all this, all that, if you want to call it fake, fine, but you're wrong for calling it fake. There are there are conspiracy theories, there are incidents. And there was an episode about a Canadian uh, wrestler who was a hero in Montreal, and part of the, the episode on his story is that he got into a fight with a Nordiques uh, player in a pub, or in a, in a, uh, in a restaurant in a... I'm not sure if it was in Montreal or in uh, Quebec. In Quebec City, it, was, it must have been in Quebec City. But that's how I. That's how it came to me. I'm like, huh? There was a second hockey team in Quebec because I was not aware of that. But uh, overall, uh, I think the best way to compare Le Classique to a North American rivalry would be uh, Montreal and Quebec City, because. All these other rivalries, like the Cowboys and Eagles, I mean, I've, I mean, I've seen, I've been to several games, I've seen fans go at it, but it's never gotten so badly out of control. It's probably just been, you know, pushing and shoving, headlocks and like that. It's never gone to, you know, beer being getting hit in the head with a beer bottle or things like that. But, but it's like I said before. I mean, sometimes comparing a soccer rivalry to an American football rivalry. It's not very proper because soccer rivalries tend to be much, much more fierce. If you want to compare a, a soccer rivalry to anything close to American football, I would probably just I probably say Michigan Michigan versus Ohio State because the, 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 there's definitely bad blood between those two. I think maybe I don't know. I would probably go Auburn Auburn Alabama Alabama LSU. A couple of those SEC rivalries are; those are pretty dogged. Um, but I think I think in college football, I still think Alabama and Auburn is, is it's a it's a pretty heated rivalry to be sure. See, also reminds me Miami and Florida State. Yeah, I mean, once upon a time, you know, when you had the three schools in Florida that were all in the top ten, Florida State. Miami, U of Florida, you know, that was, that was, that was a whole different era where you had all three of those teams and really not just the top 10, but I mean, they were top, they were top five teams. Exactly. So now that we've wrapped up Champions League, we do have one request and that is from our anonymous follower. He would like us to talk about the history of Les Bleus, the surrounding that all these star players who come from different backgrounds. And he wants to hear our thoughts. Steve, you can go first. So, even as far as the fact that whether a team like France, because you have so many people with different ethnic origins on the team? Yes, and he wants to know basically how it's impacted the French society, how it's impacted the history of the national team, and how it sets an example as far as soccer goes. Well, this goes way back. I mean, people people need to remember that France is a country of immigrants as well. And uh, after the end of the, the Second World War, there were a lot of Italians that came up, particularly in Alsace-Lorraine, for jobs. Uh, at During the 30s, at the end of the, the Spanish Civil War, there were a lot of people who were Republican supporters or were afraid of their lives uh, under Francisco Franco, there were a lot of Spaniards that left Spain and they settled in France as well. So uh, you look at the French teams of the, the late 70s and the 80s, 
You had Michel Platini. His parents were Italian immigrants. Uh, you had players from Martinique and Guadeloupe, uh, Marios Trezor, uh, Jean Vion. The, uh, they were from Martinique and, and Guadeloupe. Jean Tigana, his family came from Mali. Uh, Carlos Castaneda, who was a goaltender for uh, Saint Etienne and also the French national team, his parents had fled Spain. Um, Christian Lopez, in spite of the Spanish last name, his family had fled Algeria at the end of the Algerian War. So France has always had this history of children of immigrants who played their ball in the streets and then ended up bringing their game to a higher level and then, you know, being part of the, the national team. And when France really started to become good in the late 70s, early 80s, even their head coach, Michel Hidalgo, Michel Hidalgo's family came from Spain at the end of the at the end of the Spanish Civil War. So, uh, but the tradition has always been there. I think over time, I think what happened is that as the French National Front, which once upon a time was considered just a bunch of you know ultra right wing nut jobs that were former veterans of the parachutists from the war in Algeria. I mean, at one time it was considered a French party, but then as it started to gain more clout under Le Pen and just the nastiness started to happen. And then, um, I mean, the, the multi-ethnic, multi-DNA nature of the French national team, it continued into the 90s. So you still had more players. Uh, Zidane's family came from Algeria Lillian Taram, his family, as I recall, was from Guadeloupe. Uh, so you still had more of these players. You had, quote-unquote, fewer French, quote-unquote, fewer white faces that were on the team. And uh, But you know what? At the end of the day, a lot of these players, they were either born in France or they came to France when they were little, little kiddos and... You know, they they have a French passport, uh, and they they embrace their French nationality. I think the closest thing I could compare it to, I mean, even for American basketball fans, American basketball fans need to remember that a couple of players that were on dream team type teams, Hakeem Olajuwon, he was a Nigerian immigrant, Patrick Ewan, his family were um, from Jamaica. That's right. So, so you know, I, xenophobia has no place in sport, and I don't view, I don't take this cynical view that well, France is the first African team to win the World Cup. Bullcrap! It's a French team, and uh, it reflects the the multi nature look of the country. And I defy you to go to any major French city, and you're going to find. A lot of immigrants from all over uh, North Africa, West and Central Africa, the Caribbean. There's Asian immigrants in, in France too, uh, you know, from Vietnam and Cambodia. It, it's a multi ethnic society. I, I can't overemphasize enough that the French national team is a reflection of the way French society looks circa 2020. I salute you, Steve. Very, very well said. Good job. 
So now I'm going to give my piece. And I'm going to try not to uh, give an embellishment to what you just said. In my case, because like I mentioned before, my parents came from Syria. They didn't come at the same time, but they both came at when they were very young. Uh, they were very young. I, I believe my dad was probably... He's probably 21, I believe, when he came to France. He he already he was doing his uh his graduate course. He was going to he first he was in Paris, I believe, and then he did his uh, studying in Grenoble, which by the way is a very beautiful city. So the bottom line is, I'm just like many of those players. I'm just like Paul Pogba, Mbappe, Nabil Fekir. The, I mean, the list goes on. Uh, I think the best way for me, I'm like I'm just like Samuel Umtiti. Like he was born in Cameroon. And he moved and grew up in France. And I was born in France. And I grew up in the United States. And he has citizenship in both Cameroon and France. And I have citizenship in France and the United States. So the so I'm just like Samuel Mtiti. The way I see it, folks, it's... Look, when people are saying that they're... Some people are saying they're not Frenchmen because they're not white. That's just... That's stupid. I mean, I mean like I said earlier, grow up. I mean, enough with this old cliche of... Using their looks just because the way they look that, you know, they're not French. I mean, come on. What does a Frenchman look like? What does an American look like? If you're you're just going to tell me, you know, they look white. I mean, come on. Be serious. Grow up. And I don't want to and I don't mean to get too political or too personal. But since since I'm all about telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I'm going to say it like it is. They're Frenchmen. Mbappe. All those guys, they're Frenchmen because it's not about the color of your skin. Lilian Thuram said this in that documentary, Un autre histoire des bleus. It covers uh, the French national team from 1996 to 2016. He said, and I quote, it's not about the color of your skin. It's the nationality. And those players, they have passports. They have everything. They are French citizens. That makes them French. That makes them eligible to play for France. But it's like Steve said, the whole history, this goes back to the early beginnings of Les Bleus. There's always been players from different backgrounds. And here's a reality check for some of you folks. If you believe that being white, you know, makes you French, even the white players come from immigrants. Just like Steve said, Michel Platini, Olivier Giroud also comes from an Italian background. Antoine Griezmann comes from a Portuguese and a German background. Big Sand Lizarazu. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what he. I think it's maybe. I'm not. He's sure. Basque. He's Basque. Okay. He's Basque. He's Basque. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, Yuri Jarkev, I believe he's a, he was Armenian. I believe or his parents. He's his, Armenian. Yeah, his, his ancestry is Armenian. And of course, right. Zinedine Zidane, you know, Algeria. Lionel Turab, you know, from Guadeloupe. It's been like that for a long time, and the message is is that you have to unite everybody together. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your ancestry is. You're all French compatriots. They have to play together. And that's how the French team is. There's Racism is not tolerated. And this is where I want to bring up because a lot of people accuse Didier Deschamps of being racist all because of this whole thing with Karim Benzema. Let me remind you folks, Benzema was accused of blackmailing an international teammate. Okay, That brings up drama for the national team. The French national team can't afford drama on the squad because the whole team will fall apart. Think about this, folks. If Didier Deschamps was racist, would Kylian Mbappe be on the team? Would Paul Pogba be on the team? What about N'Golo Kanté, Nabil Fakir, Samuel Umtiti? Would they all have been on the team? 
No. And if and if he was racist and he called them up, they probably wouldn't even want to play. So to say that Didier Deschamps is racist is absolutely ridiculous. Sure, he's conservative, but that, that conservative managers, a lot of them are like that. He picks players based on results. He does not care where you're from originally, okay? Didi Deschamps, okay, and, and here's another thing. Didi Deschamps, during his playing days, when he was with France, he was teammates with Zidane and all those guys, he was there and he was happy with them. So how could he be a racist manager if, if he was able to win, have a lot of success with those kinds of teammates? So the bottom line is, Deschamps is not racist. And the success of the French national team is based on diverse cultures. It's all about French players being from different backgrounds, being together, uniting, standing up to racism, winning the World Cup for their country to stop racism. Because xenophobia, racism, hatred has no place in sports. And it's not just in France, folks. It's all over because... Mario uh, Balotelli, who plays for Italy, he's said before, if he has a good game, he's accepted as Italian. But if he has a bad game, what do they refer him to as, Steve? They refer him to as a what? They'll come up with whatever Italian uh, racial epithet is handy at the time. So, yeah. No, he's, he's, he's the living embodiment of that in Italy and the dealings with some of the Italian fans and the Italian press. Uh-huh. It's disgusting. And Karim Benzema said it too. Like, he says if he scores, he's accepted as a Frenchman. If he, doesn't, if he has a bad game, he's, he's considered, quote, an Arab immigrant. It's it, it's like the the supporters the, the those kinds of supporters that we are not happy with they love you for one second and if you have one bad game which which happens they they change I mean it it doesn't make sense because look honestly at the end of the day it's like I said who cares what their background is this is their current generation and here is the gospel truth. If it wasn't for immigrants, the French national team wouldn't even have a positive history. And that's a fact. No question about it. So, I hope I answered uh, to our anonymous fan. I hope I answered your question correctly. You are more than welcome to let me know how I did. If you have more requests, don't be shy. Let me know. You can let me know. You can let Steve know. We'll be happy to take care of it. Folks, before we let you go, I have my usual announcements. Loyal listeners, loyal followers, Into the Net FC, the Soccer Talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Spreaker, and YouTube. If you haven't clicked follow yet, then please go ahead and do so. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at Bearman of Texas, T-E-X-A-S, the full spelling, at Bearman of Texas. Follow me on Twitter. You can also follow the Bear of Texas podcast page. It's at Bear, T-X, underscore, podcast. Once again, at Bear, T-X, underscore, podcast. The Bear of Texas podcast is proudly paired with the Playmakers blog. You can check out the website, theplaymakersblog.com 
One more time, theplaymakersblog.com. You can visit the shop. You'll have access to other podcasts associated with the Playmakers blog. And one special announcement, starting next month, the Cowboys Talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast will begin. My first guest will be my good friend. He's my personal editor. He's my business partner, Darnell, the Playmaker Solens. The Cowboys will play the Rams in week one. So the best way to see that episode, our inaugural episode of that segment, will be my Cowboys versus his Rams, or you can see it, the Bear Man versus the Playmaker. Steve, it's my honor and my privilege to have you on the show. I want to thank you so much for coming back, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you again in the future. It's been fun being with you, Alex. You have a good week, partner. You too, sir. Please stay safe. Let's get through these crazy times. We're all in this together. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.